the last week we just uh, did some kind of introductory uh, comments on uh, why there are myths and why there are lies in marriage and stuff like that, and some of the things the Lord said about it. And Jeremiah 1 verse 10, uh, what you'll see is kind of a strategy that the Lord gives us in dealing with problems in our life. Just raise your hand up if you need one. We got, I think we got lots, so... All right, good. All right. <clears throat> and so I'll read you Jeremiah 1, uh, verse 10. It says, See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. Now, for each one of us, when we got saved, uh, we, we had problems. And just because we got saved, the problems didn't go away. You still carried with you maybe addictions. Uh, you had uh, thought life problems. Uh, you, you had issues that didn't just dissipate the moment that Jesus came in your heart. Because we know that uh, as we live in this world, the lies and the myths and the different things like that, what they do is they plant themselves in your heart. And the only way that you can actually get rid of that is actually what he told you here. And we noticed that he gave us some descriptions and he gave us four negatives. He gave us to root out, pull down, destroy, and throw down. And uh, that's so important we understand that because many people, I've seen this happen over and over again, you know, they get saved, but they don't deal with their problems. And so maybe a year down the road, you know, after the excitement of getting saved kind of wears off or the pressures come, all of a sudden they're backslidden because they weren't taking time to root out uh, some of the issues of their heart. And uh, I know I was one of those guys. I, I just I was, had the rose-colored glasses on. Everything was great. I uh, felt freedom I've never had before after I got saved. And when I was about 25 years, 24 years old, um, all the stuff of the past, forgiven. But I didn't realize that, you know, through those last 24 years, Satan had been planting seeds in my heart that I need to take seriously now as a child of God to actually root them out and throw them down, destroy them. Uh, another philosophy I've heard is, you know, people, because they're ashamed of their past, what they do is after salvation, they'll say stuff like, oh, that was before I was saved. And they just kind of block it out and say, because I wasn't saved before, I'm not going to deal with that or think about it because I'm forgiven. Now, it's true. You are forgiven. You're forgiven not only of the past, but you're forgiven also of the future. And so you still got to face the future. But even though you're going to sin in the future, according to God's positional truth, you're already forgiven, which means it's not going to send you to, he to hell because you're going to sin. But that doesn't mean that all of your problems have been rooted out. And so your mind is a very complicated thing. The things that go in stay there until you deal with them. So it's not automatic. There's no automatic process that takes place. It's all a matter of taking truth, bringing it in, rooting out the lies, and planting and building truth structures in your life. And that's why we make much of the Bible. We make much of truth because that's the only thing that's going to help you move forward in life. And so... Some people, maybe they had 
in the past they've had immorality, uh, maybe drug use, alcohol, whatever. Well, that's my past. Well, this is the thing. If you don't make definitive, truthful statements about your past, how do you know that anything has changed in the way you think about things? And so no matter what has happened, you've got to, ha you've got to develop a truth statement about that. So what was I in the past? Well, you know, I did drugs. You know, that was part of my past. But I've got a truth statement about that. I know that something like that, uh, as the Bible says, my temple, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I'm not supposed to defile the temple. And, and so we do whatever we can to fulfill that principle. And so that truth, one of just that truth among many, are some of the things that help me re-sort my past lies out, my past garbage. So if you block it out and say, well, I'm just not going to think about it, well, then how are you going to build up your structures of truth, you know, about what you've gone through? So whether it be marriage problems or whatever, uh, divorces, it happens, you know, uh, you've got to have a statement about it. You've got to know what the truth is. And so you've got to go back, as painful as it may be, and you've got to stare down all the stupid, ugly things of the past. And then you've got to develop a thought and a truth from the Bible in relation to what you've gone through in your life. Because if you don't have a statement about it from the past, well, then you haven't really changed your mind about it. You understand that? Your mind only changes when truth comes in. So that's when you've changed, all right? And so many people, they still battle addiction. Well, why? Well, it's because I haven't allowed truth to change my mind about it. I'm still trying to cover it. I'm still trying to deny it. Or I've got this weird philosophy that... Hey, I'm saved. It's no longer a problem. Well, there are Christians with addictions, you know, and so Christians can be addicted to things. And so we have to, we have to deal with that. And I've had people that I've had to send off to places to get help because they had such a strong addiction, even though they were a child of God. It's just they didn't know how to take the truth of the scripture and build these structures of truth and to plant those seeds in their life. Uh, they, they, they had a problem, I guess, really um, developing a true walk with God is what it is, you know, because that is your solution. Your solution is to walk with the Lord. Your solution is to spend time with the scriptures and truth and the word of God and live according to that truth. Amen. All right. So uh, the strategy. And so in our marriages, that's the same thing. So. You get involved with someone that has had past problems, and now they say, oh, well, don't worry about that because this is going to be different. <laughs> you say, well, <laughs> okay, I understand what you're saying, but why will this be different? What has changed? Has the mind changed? Has my philosophy changed? Has my doctrine changed? Like, what about this has changed from the past? You know, it's not just a statement you make. It's, it's a change of your whole mind and a renewal of the way you think about things, you know? And so it's just so, so powerful, these truths. And so there's two positives that he gave us. He gave us build and plant. And building and planting, um, if you've ever built, guys, uh, many of us since September, 
We've been in that building. For me, it's almost every day of the week. Some of you, almost every day of the week, a couple of days a week. And uh, I'll tell you something, it's work. It's labor, you know. And you think as you get closer, it'd be less laborious, but in all reality, you're just seeing more detail. <laughs> you know, you're seeing more little things that you have to do. And so building and planting is labor. It takes time and energy. You're not just going to float through, and ah, it'll just take care of itself. It's not going to take care of itself. Nothing ever takes care of itself. You know, it's going to take some energy on your part. If you want to make things work, and you want to make your marriage work, you don't just fall into love, and then that just kind of keeps you floating along in this cloud for the rest of your life. You know, maybe that's the way you got in, but that's not the way you're going to continue, <laughs> you know. It's, something's got to change here. There's got to be some investment in, in your future that way. So it's going to require labor. <clears throat> um, excuse me, getting dry here. I was hoping my voice would be a little stronger by this morning, but it uh, definitely is not terribly strong. All right. <coughs> so between my voice and my knee, I'm quite a mess. Amen? No, I'm okay. All right, it's getting better. And so many marriages, like I said, are spoiled with wrong teachings. And so that's why it's very important. Uh, that's why the Bible is very clear. You don't marry anybody unless they're a born-again Christian. That's the first step. So I love them. Well, you love them, but if you don't love God, if you're going to marry them. Say, why don't I love God? Because if you love him, you'd obey him. And he told you not to. It says you can marry, but marry in the Lord. Amen? So we only marry believers. But on top of that, then it's left in your court here as believers to choose someone that's not just saved, but living like they're saved. You know? Because anybody can say, I'm born again. <laughs> you know? A lot of people have said it. But folks, saying it doesn't make it true. And so what you want to see are evidences in that person's life, that they're actually growing and they, they know how to simulate truth into their life. How do you know that they're going to make a decision about your children's discipline, about raising the kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Are they making statements that are clear, that they care about how the world is influencing children today? Now, if they don't care about that, well, that's going to transfer over to your kids. So you're going to be fighting on one side to protect them while the other person will do nothing and probably will work against it because if you're not for it, you're against it. There's no neutral party here, you know. If you don't have a statement of truth that keeps you going in the right direction, because of Satan's place in your life, he'll always pull you in the opposite direction, which means that if you're not going to be working for God, you'll be working against him. There's never a neutral party. You understand that? And I've seen enough marriages enough people that have said they're saved but they're not living it and then they get married and now you've got this tug of war going on every day of their life because there's no neutrality they're not just sitting there saying do what you want you know there's always a tension there's always a pull and so it's it's up to you to make sure you choose somebody that is born again and lives like they're born again and desires to do the will of God for their life 
uh, someone that's faithful to the house of God. If they're not going to be faithful, then now it, it has happened, you know, where a person gets married and the wife has such a profound impact on them, they get right with the Lord and they start being faithful. And to you ladies, <laughs> I, I do this. But my friend, that is not a rule. You don't have such power over people. You cannot say, I will do this and it'll be okay. I mean, if it happens, it's, it's usually an exception and you can just thank God that it happened, but you can't bank on it. Don't write a check on that and cash it, all right? Uh, because you don't know if that's true. Many good ladies have gotten married to a man that maybe wasn't doing right or maybe they were drinking or something like that and went through the next three decades suffering through alcoholism, abuse, and finally being forsaken, divorce, all these things just because he wouldn't make the right decision. That's how Satan infiltrates your mind. And many times, I remember this one lady in our, um, my first ministry, and she was very open and public about her decisions. And she was about 80, mid-80s when I was talking to her. And uh, she had a Christian mom and dad. They were Pentecostal, but they were very devout Christians. And... Uh, she wanted to marry this guy from town, and it, was, it wasn't a Christian. He didn't go to their church or anything like that, but she loved him. And so she went to her parents and said, I'd like to marry this person, and, and they just said, no, that's not right. And so they, they said no. Then she went to the preacher and says, well, I want to marry this person, and he just said, no, I'm not going to, because he was a good preacher. You know, he did it by the word of God, not just because he wanted to get somebody's pat on the back. And so what they did is they just went and found somebody to marry them. And, and it, it, her life ended up being a true nightmare where she ended up being forsaken. They had one child. That child had a scarlet fever at five years old. Her mentality stayed at a five-year-old child's level her whole life. And the, thought, the dad or this lost person was so embarrassed by that, he kept insulting her. Uh, you know, blaming her for this child and the way it ended up. Ultimately, he just left her hanging high and dry and went and married someone else. And she had no way to take care of herself. And so she told our youth, you know, I, I had all the youth come to her house and I said, could you give them some, you know, advice? And she just said, make sure you don't marry someone that isn't loving and serving God. She spent decades, we're talking 50 years alone or longer, I figured exactly how long it was, and then her daughter died without a father, you know, all these things, and just because that lie that's planted in your heart, oh, I love them, it's going to be okay, I'll change them. <laughs> no, you won't. You're going to you're going to jump into a torture chamber for the next several decades of your life. The worst thing is this. I don't want to say worse. It's, it's a good thing that if you choose to um, marry someone as a Christian, you choose to be faithful. Like for me, before we get into marriage, that the D word doesn't exist. If I talk to somebody and they want to get married and they talk to me that divorce is an option... I would never marry them. 
because if it is an option, you'll take it. Because you don't even know what your criteria for that is. <laughs> it could be that you're having a bad day. It could be maybe that, well, I'm just not happy. I don't love this person anymore. Well, all those things have scriptural answers, but if you're already starting with lies, <laughs> you know, how can I tell you that love isn't a feeling? Love is a choice you make. It's about making a choice. When God looked at us, was there something really fuzzy in us that he just, oh, I just want to be with them? <laughs> no. We were cursed. We had nothing in us. The Bible says that he commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So one thing you know, and I'm not saying I know God and all the intricacies of it, but I do know this, that he chose to love me when I was unlovable. And that's the love that I'm supposed to have towards my wife. So there's never a time where I can honestly say from the scripture that I don't love my wife and think I'm right with God. I've made a choice, you know. It's always a choice. If you're waiting for this emotion to overwhelm you all the time, you know, the emotions sometimes are not there. But the choice is always there. When God looked at me as a sinner and I responded negatively uh, to his prompting in my life, if it would just be emotion, well, I'm hurt. You've rejected me. You're going to burn, <laughs> you know? No. He says, I love you. It was a choice I made and nothing's going to stop that, even your reaction. Aren't you glad that he didn't stop loving you the first time you reacted to his prompting in your life? because it probably wasn't a net positive experience <laughs> to God. He, he felt your resistance, you know, but he wasn't like us. Well, then I stopped loving you, you know. And so these are important things that you have to nail down in your heart and mind before you get married. If you don't know these things, then don't get married yet, <laughs> you know. Uh, learn to tear down, root out, throw down those things, destroy those things that are hurting you so you can begin to build and plant and have something productive come out of your life. Amen? Well, you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm married now, and so I'm past the choice of being married. Well, it's never too late to start pulling down and rooting out because that's the only thing that's going to save your marriage. Well, if my wife would just do this and that, we'd be happy. No, if you would just root out the garbage in your heart, you might find happiness. But it's not her fault. It's your fault. And you got to learn to blame yourself. You know, this world, it's all about blaming somebody else. That's a tactic right back from the garden. Adam and Eve, you know. Adam, what did you do? Did you eat of the tree of life that I told you not to eat of? <laughs> or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he just says, oh, it's the woman. <laughs> it's the woman, not only that, but it's the woman that thou gavest me. I blame her, I blame you. Wow. That's not too smart, <laughs> you know. But that's exactly what we do. We blame others. 
and that we're somehow mad at God for the life he gave us and the situation that we're in when it was all our fault. We made the choices. Every last one of them, you know. So you got to learn to blame yourself, take responsibility for it, and then move on from there. That's the only way to find freedom. So root out, tear down, you know, throw down, destroy, and then build and plant. You know, and young people, I would even say this. Before you want to get seriously involved in a courtship, now we don't call it dating, we call it courtship. Courtship is when you are ready for marriage, and then you are seriously considering someone because you prayed about it, they fulfill the qualifications of Scripture, and you believe that's a person that God wants you to be with. That's when you start a courting process. By talking to the parents, amen, and getting them on board. Because courting isn't about your feelings. Courting is about the family. Courting is about the mother and father, your mother and father, their mother and father. It's about will this person fit within the dynamic of our family? Or will this person divide us? Will this person hurt us? Now, the thing about that is your dad has been called to protect you. And just because you love someone doesn't mean that dad's responsibility is over. <laughs> they have that responsibility until you say, I do, to protect you. So to the day of I do, your dad should be able to stand up and say, this isn't right, and you need to pull out of this, and you should obey him. <laughs> he said, no way. Well, yeah, no way until you're the dad. Right? So you're the dad. But all I can say is this. Don't let it go on <laughs> if you know it's not God's will. Don't let it go on. Because it's going to bring a lot of heartache. And I've seen too many people spend so many years in, in just such terrible situations, you know, and affecting the children that they have, you know. Now, for sure, uh, the principle of Scripture is this. You know, you, you don't think that some of the decisions that some of these guys made in the Bible should have been made. Look at David and Bathsheba, you know. Should they have ever been together? No. <laughs> she was a married woman. But guess what? Sometimes when you make terrible mistakes and you lay that track in your life, this is what God does. He lays another track beside it. And that's a good track. So you can never say, I wish I could change this. Well, no, you can't say that because once you've made a decision, there's no longer the ability to change what you made in the past, you see. But all you can do is say, thank you, Lord, that in spite of my stupidity and the wickedness of my heart and me laying this track that really would have destroyed us all, that you laid a track beside it. You know, and that's my children, that's our future, that's all these blessings that he gives us, and even though we don't even deserve it, you know. But what I say is, don't bank on that track being laid. Oh, well, I'm going to make all my bad decisions because God's going to be good anyways. But there's always consequence. You look at every one of these Bible characters. Uh, David, he had a baby that died. And many other things happened to him because of his bad choices. 
that there was still a good track. He had a Solomon, you know, became a very wise king. And so, uh, very important truth to consider. But, you know, sometimes because we want it so bad, we'll, we'll just think on one side of it and we won't consider, you know, the consequences of all of that. And that's why I tell you in a class like this. And so this is supposed to get past all of that so we can consider, you know. And the wonderful thing about a class like this is this. I'm not sitting across from you one-on-one telling you this is what you did, you know, because then you probably won't listen before we start. But you're sitting there today as someone that I'm not even contemplating in my lesson. And God's giving you the opportunity with the help of his spirit to take this truth and say, I'm going to apply this to myself. This is not about man judging man. This is about God loving you enough to give you something that your life can change and teach you how to build and plant and become what God wants you to be. Amen? So, anyways, I need some water. My brake froze again. <laughs> I know this brake is just not working. I am feeling a lot better. It's just my voice is very weak, and so I probably sound worse than I really am. If somebody could just maybe hit those brakes there, that'd be great. (laughs) Thanks, Roger. (coughs) So let's start this. We got a few minutes left in this one uh, point here. Number three, we must identify and dispel the myths that destroy our marriages. So the myth number one is this, the honeymoon fever will last forever. (laughs) Okay, say it has been for me. I said, well, that's great. That's wonderful. Don't speak too soon because we're going to look at some very important things about this. You know, 56% out of 100 people surveyed at a Christian college believed that love never wanes or dies in your marriage. And so are you actually, this is Christians here, you know, a lost person, they'll think, oh yeah, we'll be good till, you know, Armageddon, you know, or whatever. But a Christian ought to have some principles realizing that emotional love can wane and die. And it probably will wane. So whatever you feel now in your romantic period of life, the courtship, the discovery process, it's going to change. And some of you are going to say, Pastor, why would you say that? Why would you steal away our hope? Because what you're believing is actually destroying your hope. You don't understand that there's stages in life. Stages in life so get, go past the emotional stage. There's deeper aspects of marriage that go past the romance and the romantic feelings that you have. See, that's where a lot of marriages are destroyed because they think it's built upon this unwaning emotional love that we have. And because that unwaning emotional love is gone, then obviously our marriage must now be ceased, (laughs) you know? No, no, it's just because you don't understand that there's stages. And I want you to understand those stages, and that's what we'll look at. Um, Matthew 24, 12 says, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And so we know that love waxes cold. And whenever there's iniquity or there's sin, love will wax cold. All right? 
So it's not something that just continues. Your romantic love just can't just forever. Because, you know, I, and I'll talk about this, but folks, there are people out there that refuse to give up on that concept. And so what they do is they deceive themselves. And they try to make it seem like they're still in the romantic love period when they're not. And that's a serious problem. Um, it's natural to go through seasons or cycles in life. It's constant and it's natural. Uh, Ecclesiastes talks about this. It says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. So there's all kinds of seasons, even seasons you don't even understand right now. And of course, when you're just young and getting married, there's seasons that you don't quite understand. <laughs> you know, It's all about love and love, love and flowers and all these things. And, but it's going to change because seasons change, all right? Uh, so understanding the seasons of life, I'm going to give you just a couple of examples here. The Christian life, this hit me because when I got saved, I thought this feeling of just freedom and liberty and joy will just go on automatically. But it didn't. It waned just like love, your romantic love and marriage will wane. So what happens is you got salvation. That's where you're all excited and you're all happy and so forth. But then something happens like sin. You're not going to sin after you get saved. <laughs> you're going to sin. And it may not be gross and wicked and public sin, but you're going to have sin in your life. There's no doubt about it. And because of sin, you're going to experience what's called backsliding. Is there a Christian here that's never backslid? Don't raise your hand if you think you have not, because then you're probably right in the middle of it. <laughs> yes, you have backslid. So continuing in a marriage, pretending that um, my love is never going to run out, our emotions will always be at the peak, we're always just going to be lovey-dovey-dovey, is like being backslidden and thinking you're right with God. Thinking that everything's just great. And there's Christians like that. There's Christians that are backslidden, yet when you talk to them, their language is all about spiritual, spiritual. Well, all you're trying to do is you're trying to hold on to the season without realizing that there's another season you've entered that has to be acknowledged. And until you acknowledge it, you're not going to get through it. You're just going to crash, you know? And so salvation, uh, season of sin, season of backsliding, but there's another season, revival. How many of you have lived a life where you knew you weren't right with the Lord, but then all of a sudden you got right with God? You heard a message, God spoke to your heart, and you repented, and everything just turned around wonderfully. That happened in my life. Happened to you? I hope it has, you know, because that's another season. Okay? Now, excuse me here. So because I've had revival, and does that mean now I don't have to worry about sin? Because <laughs> now we're going back into this whole seasonal change again. Oh, if you're not at a constant state of revival, you're just not going to make it. Well, I'm sorry. You're going to feel times of revival, and then you're going to hit the skids again. And you're going to go up, and you're going to go down. You know what the thing is in the Christian life is to learn to identify 
your weaknesses so that your roller coaster gets a little less like this and more like this. Amen? You're not going to be like this until Jesus comes. So what you need to do is acknowledge that there's seasons of your life and you're going to go through things and the wonderful thing is God's looking at you and he's saying, I love you. And just because you start on this downslope doesn't mean that God hates you. In fact, he says, okay, let's get ready for the upslope. He's with you every step of the way. And then he tries, what did you learn from that? And he tries speaking to your heart and giving you understanding about what just happened. So he's not saying, oh, you failed me. <laughs> I hate you. No. He says, yes, you failed me, but how do we keep this from happening again? And slowly but surely, we begin to level out, learn. Amen? We went from a sinner condemned to hell, not having any sense in our brains whatsoever, to being saved, and now all of a sudden we're never supposed to have a roller coaster ride? You will. You will. Amen? So does that help you or hurt you? <laughs> it ought to give you hope. It ought to give you the understanding that there's never a time for me to quit. It's just a time for me to continue and, and get ready for the next season of life. You know? And that's the only way we're going to make it through our marriages, our Christian life. We have to understand that this is the way it goes. So stop pretending you're like this. You're not. I'm sorry. I stopped believing that many decades ago. Somebody comes up to me. They always say, everything is, I'm just so, hell yeah. I say, yeah, right, in my heart. You're just as bad as everyone else. And you need God every minute of the day. And you know, it won't be long, you're going to mess up. And that's how good God is to you. That even though you mess up, he's still there. And he's going to help you up the upslope next time around. <laughs> Amen? You get what I'm saying here? I'm not making an excuse for sin. I'm just telling you, that is a season of life for you. Amen? That's just reality. It's just getting our brains in a way that will actually function, you know, so we can continue on. And so many times new converts, they get saved. They're all excited. It doesn't take six months. Also, you see this little darkness descend upon their soul. What's going to happen? Are they going to walk away from God? Probably not. Will they skip church a few times? Probably. Will they be back? Probably. You understand that? You ever been in a state like that where you, everything's been great and all of a sudden you stop going to church a little bit, backslid? Did you come back? Well, you're saved, so I mean, the Bible says we're not those that draw back unto perdition in Hebrews chapter 10, 38. We do draw back, but we don't draw back to perdition, which means that we're not going to keep drawing back until there's nothing left. We draw back, but then we come back. Amen? That's a sign that you're a believer, you know? And so anyways, parenting is like that. Uh, you got your children. <laughs> it's great when they're just babies and they just sleep all the time, <laughs> you know? But that little bundle of joy is going to have the terrible twos. <laughs> it's going to want everything, and everything in your life has to revolve around that child. And that's where you as a parent have to work to deal with that. But let's say 
here your baby that is just this bundle of joy hits the terrible twos and you're just like, what? This can't happen. And now you lose your religion. But what if all of a sudden you knew beforehand, you say, you know, this little bundle of joy here, when it hits around the two mark, they're going to be probably pretty obstinate because they're learning about their will. And this is where parents have to learn to break the will without breaking the spirit. Some parents break the spirit. And the wounded spirit, the Bible says, is very hard to heal. But a, a broken will is a good thing. So that terrible too is what it's doing. It's giving you an opportunity to break the will of that child. So are you expecting that, parents? <laughs> oh, no. My baby is just always going to be this bundle of love. It's never going to give me a problem. Duh. <laughs> That's the same way as you as a husband and wife say, our love is just going to be so strong. We're always going to be full of duh. Seasons. You get what I'm saying here? Um, pastoring is the same way. <laughs> I've looked back, this is my third ministry, so I look back at the seasons in my pastoring. You know, usually when you first get to a church, there's a honeymoon period. Love. <laughs> and you as a dumb pastor, this is going to go on forever. My third ministry, I already knew it's not going to. So I knew coming into this, that's great when people just think you're the best thing since sliced bread, you know. But, you know, it won't take long. You could be the worst thing in their life. I've seen it happen many times, you know. Everything you say, preacher, your message is blessed by heart. It doesn't take long. Also, you're talking to people, I get nothing out of these messages anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm... I don't know if our preacher's right with God. <laughs> because you're not looking at your heart. Amen. So I know as a pastor, there's a honeymoon period. There's a time where ministry becomes routine. So we get these young college students that come in, and they're, what they do is they aim at these high points. I'm going to be a, a rival preacher, and I'm going to have these meetings. So a meeting is only one night. What are you going to do with the other 365 days of the year? <laughs> you know what I mean? What are you going to do with all that? Yeah, are you going to keep the high going, keep that emotion every day? No. There's a lot of routine in life. In marriage, it's the same thing. So... Hey, it's so great. I get to go on a date. We're going out. We're going to see this girl. And wow, nothing will keep me from going to see her. And then you get married and you're with her every day. <laughs> you know, that's called routine. Well, I never expected this. Well, it's because you're dumb. You should have expected it. And you should have had somebody tell you that there's routine. You know, you're going to go through life just every day, living with this person, taking up your space where you can't just go do what you want and go sit on the couch and veg out when there's things that your wife needs you to do for her. Well, I got no freedom anymore. If you want freedom, don't get married. With any commitment, there's responsibility. Amen? If I didn't want to have people, 
if I didn't want to worry about people not liking me as a pastor, I shouldn't have been a pastor. But I'm not going to sit cry about people not liking me as a pastor, knowing going into it, there's a lot of people that won't like me. So I'm just going to do it anyways. Amen? It's a part of the seasons of life. So routine. Uh, there's lean years. I could tell you, I could write a book on the differences of ministries I've been in. Our first ministry, you know, how lean it was sometimes, you know. How I thought, man, this church is never going to go anywhere. You know, we're not seeing anybody saved, nothing's happening. But then all of a sudden, boom, something happens, you know. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> See, some preachers, and I talk to them, they're all discouraged in the lean times. Oh, I don't know, I don't know. But then when the, the exciting times, oh, everything's just great. And then lean times, oh. What does it remind you of? It's the same for a preacher, same for a parent, same for a marriage, same for everybody. You get what I'm saying here? It's just all the same. You have to plan on the fact that in your marriage, it's not just going to be all, you know, cotton candy and, uh, you know, puffy things and feeling good, floating on clouds. Routine, struggles, all those things. Pastoring, parenting, marriages. Marriage is what we have is we've got four, four real stages in marriage. You have, and that's letter D, you have romance. That's the first stage. Is that wrong? No. But it's not going to be your only season of life. Then you have reality hits, <laughs> you know. But after reality, you have regression. Then after regression, you have rekindling. So it's like four stages there. So if I'm stuck on stage one trying to keep my flame alive, you know, let's keep the flame alive here, trying to always revigorate the romance period. I'm not going to understand what season I'm in, reality, regression, or, or will I ever be rekindled because I'm not really being honest about where I am in, my, in the season of life I'm in. And so let's look a little closer at these. No, we can't. We don't have time. But that's the start of it. <laughs> So next week, we'll look at, look at the details of those four stages of marriage, all right? So I think you got a pretty good understanding now where I'm going with all of this, and so we'll get into the detail next week. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that we can just go to the Word of God today and, and learn from the truth and help ourselves to become better. Help us, Lord, to be wise in looking at our lives and our marriages. And I pray, Lord, we grow. And help us, Lord, as we learn about these myths that, Lord, we would grow and we would be used by you in powerful ways and we'd have strong, healthy families. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.